This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. You know, we've heard the health officials' advice, right? Yes, washing our hands. In fact, every morning when I come into the studio here and get ready to go, it is preceded by quite a few minutes of wiping everything down with the, you know, antibacterial wipes, washing my hands, using the hand sanitizer, and then I sit down and get ready to go. We're all here that kind of advice, right? Uh, But what about shopping? What about the idea that when you're going grocery shopping and you come home, all the items that you have there that have been touched by or handled by someone else? Well, Global News National Lifestyle reporter Megan Colley has actually done some research on this and joins us now to talk about it. Megan, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is such uh, an interesting point because I hadn't really thought about this, but are you getting more and more information about this? Slowly but surely, you know, I think one thing we really want to stress is that researchers are still uh, attempting to answer these questions that we have about COVID-19 and how it spreads and how it lives. Um, So a lot of experts I spoke to yesterday didn't have a ton of answers for me. But I think as time goes on, we'll start to see more information about this come out. Okay, so then what is the advice for people? Like I know with vegetables and produce and all that kind of stuff, people are being extra careful, right? Washing more thoroughly. But what about the other items? Right. And that never hurts. So I think the general piece of advice right now is to just go with what you're comfortable with. So especially if you have immunocompromised people in your household or um, particularly vulnerable people, maybe elderly people in your in your living situation, um, it, it never hurts to give an extra wipe down to that box that's coming in from outside, for example. Um, One thing we do know from some studies that have been done is that uh, the coronavirus can live for up to 72 hours on certain surfaces. So I think one piece of advice I was given from doctors yesterday was just that um, if it makes you feel better to wipe that surface down with soap and water or let's say like a Lysol wipe, some other similar um, alcohol solution, then that won't hurt. Okay, so take whatever precautions you need, but do they feel it's necessary or is this just to make us feel better? I think right now we're thinking it's it's more to make us feel better than it's not really presenting an actual risk. So right now, as far as we can tell, none of the current cases of coronavirus, according to experts, um, can be traced to uh, a surface such as like a box from a grocery store. I'm picturing in my mind like a box of crackers right. and then you pull off the shelf. Um, but one thing we do know, as I said, from studies is that we're learning more and more every day about how this can live on surfaces and remain on surfaces. But one thing I heard from experts yesterday was that even if it were living on a surface, for it to make it all the way from the grocery store to your home and then also from the surface in your home into a mucous membrane, which is how this mm-hmm. virus we know is transferred through a mucous membrane would be like touching your eye, touching it to your nose or your mouth, something like that. Um, the, the risk is still relatively very low. It just goes to show you though, Megan, doesn't it, how worried people are right now. Like we're not taking anything for granted. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the struggles for a lot of people trying to practice that social distancing and, and that hardcore self-isolation that we're hearing from public health officials is um, grocery shopping is really one of the only reasons a lot of people are stepping out of their homes yeah. right now. So I think it's the one time that can cause a lot of anxiety for people. And it is one of the the, the necessary risks we have to take. So I think right now, you know, we're going to update the story as we get more information. But I think right now, as long as people continue practicing that good hygiene, washing your hands, 
you know, multiple times per day, especially as you come in from the store, um, then we, we should be, you know, we should be relatively safe. All right, Megan, thank you very much for the advice. Thanks so much. Megan Colley, Global News National Lifestyle Reporter, with a great question because I wondered it myself. Like going to the grocery store, like you wait in line, you, you physically distance as you're waiting to get into the grocery store. But then once you're in there, I went to go grab something off the shelf and I stopped myself and thought, you know what? I'm not going to pick up anything unless I know I really want it because you don't want to be touching things and then thinking about it and putting things back which you might normally do when you're grocery shopping. A lot of people out there, you know, who would probably normally be listening to us at home, uh, or sorry, on their way to work in the morning, are now listening at home, if they're even awake at this point, because so many people have lost their jobs or are waiting to find out when they can actually go back to work. Employment experts tell us that hourly workers and small businesses are the ones who are going to be hardest hit by this COVID-19 situation. Let's talk more about that now with the help of Sean Simpson, the vice president of Ipsos. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Sean. My pleasure. So I take it you've been polling on this. What have you been looking at? Well, what we've uh, found is that the uh, the number of, of people worldwide in about 12 countries that we surveyed who believe that COVID-19 poses a threat to their job or business is now up over uh, over 50%. And in Canada specifically, uh, it's about 45%. What's interesting about that is, is normally um, when we talk about job anxiety, it's typically anywhere between 20 and 25% of Canadians who at any given moment, you know, are worried about their job mm-hmm. for various reasons. Uh, in time of recession, it might creep up into the 30s or closer to 40. And so now that we're even closer to 50% um, of people believing that you know, COVID-19 poses a threat to their, not just their job, but the existence of their business uh, is very significant. And what areas would you say, like when you talk about business concerns, is there a particular industry that is most concerned? Well, uh, yeah, we know, and because we've just seen it um, in in travel, for example, mm-hmm. uh, hotels are, are shuttering their doors, airlines uh, are, are just being uh, devastated. Uh, you know, we've heard about more more layoffs at uh, at Air Canada. Um, restaurants obviously uh, are closed if they're not uh, providing uh, takeout services, and you know, a, a lot of the people who work in these in these industries. Um, are are minimum wage or close to minimum wage hourly uh, employees, and so uh, I think these are the ones that are are being most um, most immediately impacted. But the, uh, the 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 trickle may be slow for for other industries that are that are slower to react, and, and it's hard to think of. Uh, of a particular line of business that won't be uh, yeah. negatively impacted by a, a prolonged recession or, or maybe even a depression, as some are saying. Well, that is so true. I don't know of an industry or any, I don't know of a person that hasn't been impacted by this, no matter what their line of work is. Uh, have you been tracking this for a while? Like, are more people concerned now than they were, say, a month ago? Yeah, we, we, we definitely have. Um, uh, we started our, our first wave of tracking back mid-February, just when we were first hearing about COVID-19 and the, and the devastating impact that it was having in, in places like, like China. At that time, only 10% of Canadians thought that it posed a, a threat to the job or business. And even just two weeks ago, the figure was about 30%, 29%. And so it's really just been in the last two weeks where um, so many Canadians have said, whoa, I'm, I'm starting to understand the the implications of, of COVID-19 and what it could do in, in, uh, to Canada. And in fact, um, when we compare Canada across a, a, a slew of other countries worldwide, 
we're on the low end, believe it or not. Really? More people in, in Australia, France, Germany, uh, Italy, the UK, Vietnam, India, Brazil, you know, it's getting closer to 50 or 60 percent for many, many people in those countries who believe it poses a threat. So Canada's still, still lagging a, a little bit, only ahead of Japan, who instituted very um, uh, uh, strict measures uh, early on, and, uh, and Russia, where the, the, the pandemic seems to be downplayed a little bit, although you know, there's been quite a right. lot of uh, pneumonia there, which is sort of suspicious. <laughs> why, why would you think that is, though, that with Canada? Because we, we certainly are taking the measures, and it seems like most people are going along with these measures, so we understand the seriousness of it. But why that disconnect? Yeah, well, I, I think for, for a significant period of time, uh, you know, the, the virus was seen as, as somebody else's problem. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was devastating China, but you know the cases were only trickling in in Canada. And then we heard about the the, the situation in in Italy, and we thought, oh, geez, you know, they they must not be be tackling it properly. And then all of a sudden, it it uh, you know, I don't want to say crept up on us, as what Donald Donald Trump said. I mean, we knew it was coming, but for some reason, um, I, I think. Uh, just lacked a, an understanding of how devastating it, it could potentially be in Canada. And we're now just seeing um, those those impacts. And as you said, um, uh, you know, almost everybody's been impacted, you know, whether they, they've kept their job or transitioned to working from home or working in a different environment. But now our polling is showing that more than 80% of Canadians um, say that COVID-19 is having uh, an impact on their on their finances. So there are very few people who are who are escaping the impact of, of, uh, of this pandemic. Oh, I believe that. Sean, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. There is so much uncertainty out there right now. We are worried about our jobs, about getting groceries, about the kids in school, about small businesses. There's no indication from health officials right now on even when restaurants can return to not just business as usual, but even open up a little bit more. So that means that there are quite a few owners out there facing zero revenue and those bills keep coming in. SaveSmallBusiness.ca is a grassroots group that is advocating for small business owners. We wanted to learn more about it, that what it is that they're looking for. Cameron Forsyth is one of thousands who signed on to a petition saying that they need help right now. And Cameron owns Portland Craft on Main Street, joins us now to talk more about this. Cameron, thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Simi. So what is the situation like for Portland Craft right now? Uh, our doors are closed. Uh, our 22 staff are all laid off. Um, our food is all rotten. And, um, yeah, we've, uh, we've got nobody coming through the doors. So it's, uh, it's a little bit of a tough situation. I'm, I'm actually uh, pretty fortunate there. We've got a really good landlord, and he was, uh, he was really active in getting us um, – getting us some uh, some information about what he was willing to do. Uh, he sent us a letter on March 17th with some some options for us. Uh, and, I, and I can guarantee that not every uh, every small business has a landlord like he does that was proactive in this situation. So, Right. And you, wanted, you did sign this petition as well. What kind of help do you think a business like yours needs right now? Uh, well, we definitely don't need more loans, which is what the what the federal government is, uh, has been has been putting out there. Um, it's it's amazing with the with the seventy five percent help with labor, but right now I don't have anybody to pay uh, because I don't have any income to be able to pay them anyways. Um, so um, ideally, um, something other than a loan that we would have to pay back all of this um, 
uh, even though my, my landlord was proactive, what's, what's, being, what's happening is everything's being deferred. So when we talk about all of these deferrals, 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 which is the, which is the, the, the word for April for sure, mm-hmm. um, all that means is that we're going to pay it down the line. So it's not like we're not having to pay our, our rent it's going to happen, and it's just going to get added to, um, for for instance, for, for Portland Craft, um, come October, all of the money that we haven't paid will get spread out over the, uh, I can't remember exactly how many months he said, uh, 30 months or something. So um, all of that money that we haven't paid will just get added to the rent for, for those months coming. So, um, you know, it's, small business has a really tough time right now without, uh, without extra loans. So now all of this money that's being deferred gets put on top of that as well. So if we get a loan, well, now we have a loan payment. We have rents that have been deferred. Um, so, you know, ideally we come up with a situation where um, what, what the uh, Save Small Businesses is talking about um, is, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that they talk about is um, um, the government paying 60% of rent, which would cost approximately $600 million a month. Um, and, and uh, 600 to 1, 1.8 billion a month. Um, sorry, one, 600 million per month. Um, what, what this does is it, it incentivizes landlords to, to help out as opposed to defer. Right. So you think a grant is the better way to go. So to give small businesses grants that would go directly towards, say, paying rent. Rent is is a huge, huge cost, especially in the city of Vancouver. Yeah, um, you know the, you know, just so that we understand when when a landlord says we're going to defer your rent, what that means is that they, there, there's a base rent, and I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a high one of of uh, people that pay triple net, and so triple net means that we pay a base rent, mm-hmm. we pay po- property tax. And we pay all of the other little incidentals that that a landlord incurs. So, uh, insurance for for property. Uh, we've got um, uh, just a whole bunch of little things. Our our HVAC system and upkeep to the building, and so all of those things are are paid by by the tenant. Uh, for us, it works out to to fifty six thousand dollars a year. That gets spread out over twelve months. It's a lot of money. All all of those things are still supposed to be paid by by us unfortunately we're we're not in a position to be paying those come april 1st and 38 percent. so there's a 38 uh, percent of the people that were that took part in this survey won't be able to pay their their rent come april 1st which is tomorrow mm-hmm. uh 70 percent won't be able to pay may 1st Cameron, let me ask you then as well. It sounds the way you're describing it to me, like, okay, even if you're able to get through this with help, with assistance and all that, that the real kind of coming of age is going to be when things start to get up and running again and all these other bills come due. Exactly. And not only that, we have to, you know, we're going to have to buy food. We're going to have to buy beer and wine and and spirits to be able to, to get our restaurant up and running again. And all of that, you know, when you open a restaurant, you put all of those things into your budget, and you say, "Okay, well, I've got, I've got twenty five thousand dollars in opening costs." Yeah. Well, where does that twenty five thousand dollars come from? So, then, so, Cameron, what is your message then to either the provincial, or the federal government? What do you want to say to them? Uh, I want to say that uh, small business is the heart of any neighborhood. 
and we can and and now more than ever we realize that we are missing that heart because nobody has anywhere to go we don't have our coffee shops to go to we don't have our restaurants to go to we don't have our bookstores to go to we don't have our clothing stores to go shop at we're missing all of that uh all of those integral parts of what make a city a city and um you know i i don't want to i don't want to say that we are everything but <laughs> there's a, there's a lot to be said for small business yeah and 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 we we need the help we need we don't need loans we need as you put it we need grants we need we need the the city the province and the and the country the federal government to step up and say these are integral pieces of our pie that need to be taken care of well Cameron you let us know how it goes okay Absolutely. Thanks very much for uh, for taking the time to reach out to us. I appreciate it. Well, good luck. Fingers are crossed for you guys. That's Cameron Forsyth, owner-operator of Portland Craft on Main Street, saying that what they don't need is grants, or that what they need is grants. What they don't need is uh, to have wage subsidy. Yes, that helps, but he said if you can't hire employees back, if there's nothing for them to do, they need more help than that. They need rent, uh, not deferral, but actual rent paid for them. I know your neighborhood doesn't look the same as it did just a couple of weeks ago. Go. go to the store and so many of the other stores are closed, probably just the grocery store, the drugstore that's open at this point. And downtown Vancouver, it's very stark when you see that store after store, street after street where everything is just closed down. And with so many of those businesses shut down right now, break-ins have now become an issue for owners. In fact, Vancouver police announced last week that they had 81 commercial break-ins last week that they were dealing with. That is almost as many as the two weeks prior combined, actually. So to talk more about this and the response from how businesses are dealing with this, we're joined by the executive director of the Robson Street Business Improvement Association, Terry Smith. Terry, thank you very much for being here. Good morning, Simi. Thank you for having me. How challenging has this become in the last week or two for businesses? Oh, well, it's uh, it's very challenging indeed. And what we're seeing on the street is making it all the more real and hitting home. So, uh, yeah, you've seen a lot of businesses start boarding their, their storefronts up as preventative measure in order to prevent the the break-ins that had started uh, earlier this month as confirmed by the BPD. And so how big of a problem have those break-ins been? Have you heard from business owners and and managers about that? I have. Um, I had heard from a few businesses that there were uh, break-ins along Robson Street and it was confirmed by the BPD. And uh, as a result, even prior to to finding out that information, we had been um, looking at our current security program and decided to go the route of an overnight mobile security during the hours of 10.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. to try and thwart that uh, suspicious activity and commercial break-and-enters activities that was happening. And is that for that whole Robson Street area then? You've got overnight security now? So for the area between Burrard and Jervis, which is the commercial area that I represent, we have overnight mobile patrol. And then a, a number of BIAs have also gone in that direction. So there's quite a bit of coverage downtown at the moment. You know what? It's funny you say that because I actually noticed that this morning, of all things, <laughs> coming into work, driving um, driving down the street. And I thought, boy, you know, I don't see as many taxis anymore. But what has replaced that is an awful lot of private security vehicles. Uh, has it made a difference, do you think, Terry? It has. I've been looking at the, the reports 
every morning and there have been suspicious individuals that have been in the area but uh, have left once seeing security. I haven't heard of any break and enters since. I have spoken with the VPD and there have been no confirmed break and enters in my in my neighborhood since. So uh, positive mm-hmm. uh, for sure and I hope that it continues that way. And what is the VP doing in response? What have they said? Uh, they've actually been very responsive uh, since seeing the, the statistics and the concentration of those break and enters being downtown. They've deployed extra resources as of last weekend. So there's more police presence uh, to uh, assist with the, the, the private security that we've also Right. Uh, put out into our neighborhoods. Okay, so you're definitely seeing more of a presence there. And is that enough? Like, that's just enough to deter the crime that was happening before? I think there's a couple things that have aided in the last week. I mean, we all know that there's been a shortage in the drug supply. So the the prices of the, the drugs locally have increased and, and that did definitely lead to some of this commercial break and enters and you know, getting the, the goods to sell in order to get the, the money. Um, last week was Welfare Wednesday as well. So that that definitely helped. Uh, so we'll see how things go as, uh, you know, the coming weeks come. And, you know, we are seeing day after day more businesses are, are boarding their, their storefronts up. Yeah. So it's, you know, it it's not a good sight to see. Um but I understand the desire to do so to, to protect their, their storefronts and their merchandise, although no, a number of them have also removed uh, a lot of their merchandise from the store. Terry, this must be so difficult for these businesses and for you as well, because, I mean, Robson Street in recent years had been undergoing a bit of a rejuvenation, hadn't it? It had, um, for sure. We've definitely been seeing a number of uh, international retail retailers come into the the landscape and some redevelopments happening. So there's a lot of positive things happening. Um, but unfortunately, it's not Robson Street that's being hit. It's everywhere. We're all in the same boat right now. And we just have to pull together and, and do our best and, and get through this. You mentioned that some retailers have taken everything out of the stores. I mean, one, I'm, I'm, th- I'm seeing that as a lot more common because I also noticed that on my way into work this morning. But two, does that also tell us that we don't know, like some of these businesses know that this is not going to be over anytime soon? Yeah, that's definitely the feeling that you get. Um, I don't believe that it's the, the two weeks that uh, most of the stores had voluntarily closed down for, um, it is going to stretch on a bit longer. And, you know, I it is, it's frustrating and challenging. And I, I just think that it's in the best interests of public health and safety for the businesses to, to remain closed and for all of, all of us to do our part in the social distancing efforts and, you know, uh, the break and enters are just an added frustration on everything that's happening and and the revenues that are being lost by businesses. So I think that it it is the right decision to do. And mm-hmm. we we don't necessarily encourage the boarding up of businesses, but we we understand the the reasons behind it. You know, you make a good point, though, that if people want to see this change, like you're right, we think the boarding up of the businesses looks very sad. But the way Mm -hmm. to make that go away is to follow the rules right now, right? And keep doing what the health officials ask us to do. Absolutely. There 
they're in those positions for a reason and we need to take their advice very seriously. And, you know, I've seen evidence showing that we are starting to, to flatten the curve and I want to see that continue so that we can all resume life uh, to some sort of degree of normalcy, you know, in a shorter period of time. But uh, there's still people out there that aren't necessarily taking it as seriously as others. So, yeah, we're definitely, as the Robson Street Business Association, encouraging, you know, let's explore Robson later. Let's stay home and do our part. All right, Terry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. That's Terry Smith, Executive Director of the Robson Street Business Improvement Association. You've probably seen the story on the news. Uh, definitely they were doing it on the global news as well, or maybe you drove by and saw it, but many stores are boarding up right now. And the reason why they're doing that is that in the last couple of weeks, they have been seeing an increase, unfortunately, in commercial break-ins. And that is just the sad state of affairs where we were at that kind of desperation that clearly people are feeling, but so are business owners. And that's what that boarding up is. It's a sign of the desperation of business owners to protect what they've got. As Terry mentioned, many of them have moved the, the stock and merchandise that they had out. So there's nothing in the stores anymore, but there's still just that concern about the break and enter. So they've increased security, they've hired private security to patrol, and they said in the last couple of days they've seen an improvement, but still they're keeping a very close watch on this. You know, you've probably heard about these anti-malarial drugs. They're getting a lot of attention right now because U.S. President Donald Trump has talked about them at some of his briefings about the potential they may have to actually fight COVID-19. Well, one of those drugs is actually being tested right now at the Lynn Valley Care Center. That's one of the facilities that have been really hard hit by this outbreak. But we also know that many colleges of pharmacists like across the country and in the United States too, are saying, hold on here. We don't know enough about this. And they don't think that this, these should just be prescribed like crazy just in case. Last week, the BC College of Pharmacists urged healthcare providers not to prescribe the medications for conditions other than the ones they are currently approved for, which would be malaria. So what is the concern here? And are people trying to get prescriptions for this in spite of those warnings from health officials? We wanted to ask a few questions about that. So joining us now is Bob Nakagawa, Registrar with the BC College of Pharmacists. Bob, thank you for being here this morning. My pleasure, Sammy. Have you been hearing more about this? Are pharmacists saying that people are asking for these drugs? Uh, yes, we are continuing to hear uh, anecdotal reports of uh, uh, prescriptions being received for uh, drugs like hydroxychloroquine, and uh, we are concerned that that um, people are thinking that there is a cure for COVID-19, and, and in fact, a cure at this point in time does not exist. So what then are you advising pharmacists to do? What are the rules well, what we're, we're reminding pharmacists and, and uh, in a joint statement from the colleges of, of uh, physicians and surgeons, uh, nursing professionals and pharmacists, we've said that outside of a, a controlled clinical trial, uh, that these drugs should not be used for the treatment of COVID-19. And that if a pharmacist is re- to receive a prescription outside of a clinical trial, that they should not fill it. And is that a concern? Like, obviously, doctors face pressure too, right, from their patients who come to them and say, I want this. Sure. And I think most uh, physicians will be 
uh, aware that the, that there is not a, a treatment or cure for COVID-19 right now, and that while these drugs might hold some some uh, potential, that we need to uh, you know have a clinical trial that properly analyzes whether the the, the risks and benefits of of uh, using uh, these agents in COVID-19. The other concern that we have is that uh, these drugs aren't this you know aren't just used for uh, for for potentially for COVID nineteen, but they are used for chronic conditions, uh, not just malaria, but for uh, lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. And patients who need the drug for for those indications uh, may not be able to access it. I saw that that was a definitely a concern down in the United States that regular users of these drugs are becoming concerned. So were your efforts then to try to head that off any kind of problem? Yes, absolutely. And these drugs aren't used, uh, or while they're used for, for these uh, other purposes, uh, they're not that common. Uh, the, the conditions aren't that common. And so the supplies that a pharmacy would need to um, to maintain um, are, are quite low. So if uh, there is a, a, a surge in utilization or prescriptions for uh, uh, for this purpose, they may not be available for patients to, to have their prescriptions filled on an ongoing basis. You mentioned that, you know, you need to have clinical trials to make sure this is effective. Are there any kind of trials like that going on right now? Yes, I, I do understand that there are trials like that uh, ongoing uh, throughout uh, uh, Canada and the United States, and we would certainly support the use of the drug within those clinical trials so that we can properly evaluate its value. Bob, can you think of any other time where something like this has happened where you've had to actually tell pharmacists, listen, don't fill these prescriptions? Uh, off the top of my head, no, I, I, I can't recall that. Uh, these are exceptional times and exceptional circumstances. Um, so, uh, you know, these, these types of things, I guess, do happen. But no, I do not recall that ever happening before. And what are some of the challenges that pharmacists are facing right now with everything that's going on? Well, pharmacists are, are the front line for, for many patients and, and are trying to maintain um, some um, order and, and be able to, to meet patients' health, health needs as, as well as they can. Uh, at times, people will uh, you know, present themselves to a pharmacy and want a larger supply, and we would recommend that patients not uh, obtain a, a, a larger supply. They're, they're, for most things, there's an adequate supply, but if patients get uh, large supplies of prescriptions, they may not be enough for the other patients who need it. So we would not recommend any stockpiling and, and that would help to, to alleviate some of the pressures on, on pharmacies. Has that um, improved at all? I know that was a concern several weeks ago, but have people stopped stockpiling or are you still hearing about it happening? Uh, we're still hearing about it. Uh, we, we do understand that some pharmacies are limiting the, uh, the size of the prescription to a 30-day supply. And, and I think that, that represents their, uh, their supply as well. So as they receive stock from their, their wholesales, uh, they're saying that they may not have enough to, to be able to meet the needs of their patients. So they're limiting uh, the, the uh, amount that they're providing so that they can, can meet the needs of, of more patients. So then, Bob, what is your advice to people? Because, you know, they hear about this. So many people are online right now and 
getting information and they think that there's an answer and they're probably going to their doctor or their pharmacist for more information. But what is your advice to people on this? Uh, I guess my advice is to, uh, you know, be reasonable, uh, be calm. Uh, the, the standard uh, public health messaging that we're getting is, is very good, that we need to be conscious of social distancing, uh, that we need to, to wash our hands regularly, uh, that we need to, to uh, sort of be kind to each other and respect each other. Uh, we'll get through this. Uh, and these two weeks, uh, as, as uh, uh, Bonnie Henry referred to yesterday, are critical for us to to really make sure that we, we uh, uh, control the, this outbreak and uh, don't uh, have it linger longer than, than, than it needs to. All right, Bob, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Siri. Appreciate that. That's Bob Nakagawa, Registrar with the BC College of Pharmacists.